Titus chapter 3. We're going to be looking at just verse number 5. As we've been working our way through some of these marvels of salvation, we see on our chart up here that we've covered propitiation. Remember, propitiation was the complete payment that Christ provided through his blood on the cross to completely pay for all of our sin. Wonderful, wonderful blessing. But then we find also we, uh, that this enabled him then to give us redemption, for he would redeem us and buy us back from the bondage of sin and set us free and give us uh, a new freedom in Christ. Then we saw last week justification, and that's one of my favorite of all, of how he made us perfectly clean through the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to offer us the cleansing through his blood that can give us that. Now, today we're going to be looking at regeneration. Regeneration. And we see here in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, it says, not, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Here he says that it's, we're saved not by the works of righteousness that we've done. Not by the good things that you and I have done, but by his mercy. And he washes us and renews us through the Holy Spirit. And as we look at this this morning, I want us to take a a closer look at this subject of regeneration. So that we can see, first of all, the meaning of it, the reception of it, and the results of it. I think it'll be a help to us. I know I've been enjoyed it, and I trust that I can share my joy with you as we dig through it. First of all, let's take a look at the meaning of regeneration. Well, this is a compound word, regeneration, regeneration. The word re uh, is, depicts the idea of again or a renewal. Generation speaks of a source or origin, birth or nativity. It's the idea of being again born is the idea of the word. And so, simply speaking, the word refers to restoration or renovation or rebirth. Rebirth. And regeneration is presented in Scripture in several different ways. Uh, We find, especially in John chapter 3, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about being born again and being born of God and being born of the Spirit. These are descriptions of this Subject of regeneration. Regeneration. Now, how can we then define the word regeneration? How do we define it? Okay? Now, boys, pay attention. Okay? Now, as we think on this, uh, I believe that Merle Unger in his Bible dictionary gives us one of the best definitions. Let me just read his definition. It's a really good definition. He said there that the it, it is the spiritual change wrought in a man by the Holy Spirit by which he becomes the possessor of new life. Let me read it again. It's the spiritual change wrought in a man by the Holy Spirit by which he becomes the possessor of new life. We need new life. The old life we got is full of sin, full of problems and full of heartaches. And Regeneration gives us new life, and that's what we need. Now, let me paraphrase Unger again as he 
compares justification with regeneration. We just looked last week at justification. How do they differ? What's the difference between being washed clean and forgiven and being regenerated? Well, he says there, first of all, that um, he said justification changes our relation to God. But regeneration changes our moral and spiritual nature. He says justification removes our guilt by divine forgiveness. Regeneration changes our state of spiritual death to spiritual life. So justification is the cleansing, but regeneration is a new life that God gives us. He gives us new spiritual life. Takes away our spiritual death. Schaefer and Wolvert in their excellent work on uh, entitled Major Bible Themes make this comment. It said, regeneration means the origination of the eternal life which comes to, into the believer in Christ at the moment of faith. The instantaneous change from the state of spiritual death to the state of spiritual life. Once again, we see here, it is a change from spiritual death to spiritual life. Important for us to grasp that because that's very critical to our understanding of this. Now, how do we receive regeneration? The reception of generation. How do we receive it? Well, first of all, it's beyond all human uh, ability. We saw that in Titus 3.5. He says it's not by works of righteousness. Not anything we can do. And even in the most vivid passage in the Bible that deals with regeneration, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we'll see how he addresses that and showed Nicodemus the same thing. We read over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13, verse 23, Jeremiah was using an illustration. He says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Now think about that illustration. He said, can an Ethiopian who's dark-skinned, can he change his skin color? No. It's impossible. Can a leopard who's covered with spots get rid of his spots? No. That's what a leopard is. He's going to always have his spots. And he says, in the same way, you can't fix your sin problem. And neither can I. We can't change the way we are. And that's why we need new birth. We need to have a new change because we can't fix the way we are. You know, not everybody is as rotten as the rotten people of our world. You know, there are some pretty rotten people in our world, and not everybody's that bad. And so we have a tendency to think, because I'm not as bad as the guy down the street or the drunk down the road or or whatever the case may be, we compare ourselves with others who are worse, and we think I'm pretty decent. But when we compare ourselves with God Almighty, who's never sinned at all, we come up way short. We fall way short. And we cannot fix our problem. We cannot change our state. Turn back with me now to John chapter 3. I want to spend a few moments here in John 3. We're going to be going back and forth between Titus and John. But in John chapter 3, this is a, a great passage, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture. And in John chapter 3 here, as I already mentioned, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Now, first of all, we need to think about this. Who was Nicodemus? 
Well, we read in the first verse, it says there, in, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Two things stand out for us. First of all, he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was at, at the top of the religious ranks in Judaism. He was one of those people that just lived a spotless life. They, would, they were fanatically spotless in their activities. They, would, they washed their hands before they would do all kinds of sort. They had all kinds of little rules, and they'd follow all these silly little rules. Jesus said, you've actually carried it way beyond what I intended. But they were, they were fanatics about being holy. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. So he was one of the leaders of the nation. He was one of God's people, the Jews. So that gives us a little bit of an idea of who this Nicodemus was. But then notice there that it says that, that he came to Jesus, verse number 2, by night. The first question that comes to my mind is, why by night? Well, probably because he knew Jesus wasn't very popular among his fellow Pharisees. In fact, they didn't like him at all. And Nicodemus probably thought, if I go to him openly, I'm going to get all kinds of criticism and shame from my coworkers. I'm going to go to him at night. So Jesus, it's, it's night, it's dark outside, and here comes Nicodemus knocking at Jesus' door. He says, Jesus, I've got some questions for you. Jesus invited him in. And as he invites him in, and they're talking here, Nicodemus starts out and says, Rabbi, he calls Jesus by a very respectful religious title, teacher. Uh, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, Nicodemus is just kind of laying the groundwork for what he wants to talk about. He says, I, I, I know you're a religious man. I know you're very intelligent. I know you, 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 you're teaching us things about God. And Jesus gets really blunt with him. And he says, Nicodemus, I know why you're here. I mean, he didn't say that out loud. But he says, Nicodemus, in verse number three, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that was why Nicodemus was there. He was wanting to know, how do I know for sure I'm in the kingdom of God? How, am I, how do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? How can, I know, how can I be positive I'm going to go to heaven when I die? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, that's why you're here. Let's not talk about the trivia stuff. Let's get right down to it. All right? You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And this kind of shocked Nicodemus. He says, Jesus, I'm an old man. How can I get back inside of mama and start over again? Jesus said, you can't. Look at verse number four. Nicodemus says unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there's been a lot of theologians that have claimed that this Water and the Spirit, or baptism and the Spirit. I don't believe that at all. He's not talking about baptism in the context. What is he talking about? He's talking about physical birth and, and spiritual birth. Well, all of you ladies know that the physical birth begins with water. There's the water that comes, and then the baby comes out. It's a water birth. He says, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, spiritually, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. He says, you've got to have two births. You can't make it on one. So he's very clear with him in this. 
Nicodemus was confused. And we read down through verse, in verse number 6, it says, and That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you that you must be born again. He said, don't be surprised that I said unto you, you, you need to be born again. You do. You need to be born anew. There needs to be a spiritual birth there. And Paul, in, in our, our text there in Titus, said, it is not by works of righteousness which we've done. It's not the things you can do that's going to get you there. It's a spiritual thing. And this clearly tells us that regeneration or being born again is something I can't do. I can't reborn myself. And you can't reborn yourself. It's not something that is possible for us to do. And not only that, I can't do it for you or to you. I wish I could. There's a lot of people that I know that I, I would love to see them come to Christ. And if I could just go up to them and, you know, shake their hand or hug them or, or pray over them, and they could suddenly be born again, I, that would be awesome. But I can't do that. Only God can give them new birth. I have no control over that. I can pray for them. I can pray with them. But God's the one that's got to do the re- rebirth. I can't do that. So there's nothing we can do to earn it or merit it. It is all of God. So the reception is beyond our control. But as far as, far as our, maybe I should say beyond our ability. We can only receive this regeneration from the Holy Spirit. And we saw there in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The term Holy Ghost there is the same as the Holy Spirit. For variety, the King James translators have used both ghost and spirit interchangeably uh, to translate the same Greek word, pneuma, uh, into uh, ghost or spirit. And in the same verse, Paul links regeneration with renewing. The word renewing refers to being um, made completely changed for the better. A complete change for the better. Both of these are accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. At the moment a person repents and trusts Christ. It takes place just like that. I can't explain it. I can't reproduce it. It's a work of God through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, regeneration is all of the Holy Spirit as he washes the sinner clean and gives him a new and changed life in Christ. It's marvelous what God can do. According to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we read there, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, as many as received Christ, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. That's that new birth. Even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, so they didn't inherit it, nor of the will of the flesh, they didn't just want it, but of God. It's important we see that. We, we don't inherit it. You know, you might have grown up in a Christian home. I'm very grateful that I did. My mom and dad knew the Lord before they conceived me. And when I came along, they took me to church from one week old. And I've been going to church since I was a week old. And I'm grateful for that. That's a blessing, but that didn't save me. Just because my parents loved the Lord didn't mean that I was going to love the Lord. 
I had to make a choice. And so it is true with every single person. You have to make a personal choice. When Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again, the word again, born again in that context, it actually means from above. You need to be born from above. It wasn't just the idea a second time, but he says you need, you've had a birth down here, you need a birth up there. You need to be born from above. There needs to be spiritual life given to you. Later on in John chapter 3 and verses 6 and 8, he speaks of being born of the Spirit. That's what Titus was talking about here. The Spirit of God is the one who activates this. He's the one who puts this into action. He's the one that is able to give us that new life. We read over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, a very related verse. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means to have a relationship in Christ. We have been placed in Christ through our faith in him. We've become one of his children. So he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The old is past. All things have become new. Now, I wish that God would have made it so the moment you get saved, you're instantly a little angel. Never do wrong again. He did change us in the inside and give us a new heart. But we still have our old flesh. And so there's a battle that goes on the rest of our days on this earth. There's a battle between our flesh and the spirit. Who am I going to yield to? I can yield to the Spirit because He now lives in me. I don't have to yield to my flesh, but there's a strong pull that direction. So there's a battle there. We read also in Ephesians 2, verse 10. The Apostle Paul states there, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are new creatures. We're new creations. If you know Jesus is your Savior, you have been recreated by God spiritually. Regeneration is clearly a transformation worked out by the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a repentant sinner. Sadly, there's many religious people today that think they're Christians and call themselves Christians, but they've never experienced this. They've never experienced a new birth in Christ. They've never come to the place where they've repented of their sin and admitted their guilt before God, and God has come in and washed them clean on the inside and given them a new life. They're religious, yes, but they don't really know Jesus. And that's what we need. We need more than just a religious profession. We need a genuine change that comes from the inside out. Once we've received this, it brings us to our third point, and that is the result of regeneration. What do we get? What happens? What's what's actually taking place? Well, first of all, eternal life results from regeneration. Prior to Christ. The sinner was spiritually dead and headed for eternal death. 
Every one of us, before we trusted Christ as your, our Savior, and maybe you've never done that yet, and so you're still on that path, but before we trust Christ as our Savior, we are literally headed down a path that will lead us to eternal destruction and damnation in hell. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how religious you are. doesn't matter how nice you are. doesn't matter how bad you are. We're headed that direction. Nothing we can do to change it. If you've ever been in, in a boat or a canoe on a rapid river, I remember as a teenager we would sometimes go canoeing on some rapid flowing rivers. And if you're going downstream with the rapid river, it's a breeze. But if you need to go upstream for one reason or another, that's a job. You got the stream going against you. You're paddling for all your worth and making very little headway because you're going upstream. And you know that's the way it is in life. Most of the world is going downstream right toward the cliff that's going to lead them into destruction. And it's not hard to go that way, but you turn around and go the other way and try to live for Jesus and live for God. It's a battle. It's a struggle. There's people that are going to be against you. Your flesh is going to be against you. You're going to have a, a struggle to live the way God wants you to live because it's not easy. Now, we do have the Spirit of God's help. It's not impossible, but it's, it's work to go upstream because we've got so much going against us. And we're headed down that road, and that stream that was rushing us toward eternal death. And when he, we trust Christ, the Spirit of God gives us Spiritual life and eternal life. He gives us eternal life. We're headed toward eternal death, and the Spirit of God turns us around and gives us eternal life in Christ. Totally different than what we had before. We were headed for death, now we're headed for life. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them very clearly, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. And they took a bite of that fruit, and what happened? They dropped over dead. Is that right? No. No. And some people look at it and say, well, God didn't tell them the truth. They didn't die. But they did die. They started dying immediately. Immediately lost the most important life they had. They had spiritual life. They lost their spiritual life just like that. And immediately they looked at each other and said, how come you don't have any clothes on? Why would I need clothes? But they didn't realize it. Now they did. Something had changed. They were different people. They lost their spiritual nature. And they were ashamed of themselves. They covered themselves up. And when God came along, they hid themselves. Why? Because they were ashamed of their sin. They lost their spiritual life just like that. But they also began to lose their physical life. And we know that if they're dead now, they're dead long ago. If they had not sinned against God, I truly believe they'd still be here today. But they sinned against God. They lost their life. And so death comes upon all men because of our sin. We were born sinners. We've sinned ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1 says, And you hath he quickened. The word quickened there means to be made alive. You have he made alive who were dead in the trespasses and sin. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were headed for destruction. We were headed for hell. We were dead and could not fix ourselves. But he gave us life and enabled us to head for eternal life because of what he has done for us. And we have eternal life right now. 
You know, sometimes we talk about, well, one day we're going to have eternal life. No, we have eternal life right now. If you know Christ, we're not going to die spiritually. We're going to be always alive if you know him as your Savior. That is a wonderful truth. So we have eternal life. But not only that, but we also have new life on this earth. You know, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he saw, we, we saw there that he compared the heavenly kingdom with the physical birth. The physical birth took place the moment that they came into this life. Spiritual birth takes place the moment that we put our faith and trust in Christ. Both of them take place momentarily. Now, you ladies that had babies, yeah, I, I'm not underestimating the fact that it didn't seem like it was that fast. Right? For most of you, it was agony for a long time. Um, but then when the babe came, it was over. All right? And so it was. It was a moment of time. Right in your birth certificate, born at you know, such and such a moment in time. It's all there on the birth certificate. As physical birth cannot be undone or lost, true spiritual birth can't be undone or lost either. The Holy Spirit creates a new life inside the repentant sinner. He changes his life from the inside out. And unfortunately, as I already alluded to, we still have our old nature and we still get tempted to sin. But a Christian can never be happy living in sin. Now, we all know that to be true because we've all experienced that. If you do something wrong, what happens? If you know Christ your Savior, you do something wrong, what happens? The Spirit of God starts going, wake up, you can't do that. No way, I'm not going to let you do that. That's wrong. Your guilt starts getting you, your 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 innards just eat at you, and you say, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you just, you're tormented. That's the Spirit of God working in you to say, that's not right. We see that very clearly. Paul tells us about that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. He says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now, these verses are awesome verses. I am so glad for this truth in the Bible because it helps to ensure us that we truly know Christ if we do. He said, if you know Jesus and you do wrong, God will chasten you. It's not he might. It's not eventually maybe he will. He says he will chasten you. It doesn't say he might. He says he will. But then he goes on in the next verse, a very sad verse. He says, but if ye be without chastisement, where of all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Now, a bastard is an illegitimate child. He says, you're not mine. You've got another father, not mine, not me. You don't know me. He didn't say you lose your salvation. He didn't say I rejected you. No, he says, you were never mine. So God says here, if you can do wrong, and it doesn't really bother you. You don't get haunted by the Spirit of God. He doesn't eat at you. He doesn't convict you. He doesn't make you feel just the most rotten, terrible person that could possibly be. If he doesn't put those kind of guilt trips on you when you do wrong, he says, you're not mine. I don't know you. Because every Christian, he says, I will chasten them if they do wrong. 
Now, that's an important truth for us. And you know, that is not only a fearful thing, but that's also a blessed thing. Because when I do wrong and the Spirit of God starts, you can't do that. That was wrong. Go get it right. That is God saying, you're my child, and I'm not going to let you do that. You're my child. I'm not going to let you get away with that. That's a blessing. But if God doesn't do that, you got problems. you got big problems. you got eternal problems. And he says, you're not mine. You're headed down the same road you were on to begin with. That's not good. That's serious. That's bad. So that's a real blessing. So it is a, it is a convicting. We don't like that, but it's also what a blessing. God's saying, I love you. You're mine. You're not going to get away with that. No way. That is a blessing. It's a great joy to know that God does that. We just read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He says we're made new creatures. He's made us new. When a believer receives Christ by faith, he is born again in the act of the new birth. He receives a new nature. He receives a new nature. The quote was from Schaefer and Wolford. We still have our old flesh, but we have a new nature that enables us through the power of the Spirit of God to do right. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Ephesians 2, or 4, verse 24 tells us, and, he, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He says, we, we need to put on the new man. He says, you have the new man. You need to put him on. You need to let him take control of your life because we were created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the only way you're going to be happy. It's the only way I can be happy. Keep sin out of my life and walk with God. To do this, we must walk in harmony with the Holy Spirit. We read there in Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now that's a promise. God gives us a promise. He gives me that promise. He gives you that promise. If I will walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that means that any time I do something I know wasn't right, I'm not walking in the Spirit. Because he's not going to let me if I'm walking in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? That's a good question. It certainly has to do with walking in harmony with him. Doing what is pleasing to him. Letting him take control. Letting him lead. Not fighting him. You know, if we're, it's like we're on a team together. We're working together. You know, you, you take any sport there is. Any team sport, I should say. Any team sport, if the players are not working in harmony, they're not going to win. They're not going to win. If everybody's out to make a hero of himself, they're not going to win. They've got to work as a team. And so it is with the Spirit of God in us. If we are walking in spirit and letting him take control, letting him lead, he'll give us victory. He promises but if we're trying to take control and we're trying to do it our way and not let him take the lead, so we're not going to be able to have victory. 
because of our new nature and the indwelling of the Spirit of God, we can overcome temptation. That's a blessing. We have a new nature. We have a new ability because of the Spirit of God living in us and the change that He did in us. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4 tells us, For whatsoever was born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So we can overcome. We can overcome through Christ. And so God has given us the ability through this new regeneration, this new life we have in Christ. We were headed down the road to destruction, headed for hell for all eternity. And we trusted Christ our Savior and He turns us around, sets us on the road to life, gives us eternal life and a new life inside with a new desire to do what is right. Now remember, in our little scenario, in our little picture here, we're still in the stream going upstream now instead of going downstream. And so we still have the old flesh pulling us backwards and, and the Spirit of God saying, no, go this way. And the flesh is pulling us backwards and, and, we, we, and Spirit says, no, keep going. And if we're walking in harmony with the Spirit of God and He's helping us, we can win. As soon as we quit depending on Him, what's going to happen? We're floating right backwards again. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to go to hell, but we're going in the wrong direction. We're not living the way we ought to. And so, we need to depend on Him. Regeneration is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Born again, born anew, born from above, born of the Spirit, given new life, given eternal life, that we might be able to spend eternity with God. Each of us was born once. And that gave us physical life. But each of us must be born again to have spiritual life. There's no other way. We've got to have God's life if we're going to have eternal life. If you've not been born of God, you've not been regenerated, then God offers that to you today. He holds it out to you and says, Please come. Please come. All through the scripture, God says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He says, come, come to me, you that are thirsty, I'll give you a drink. Come to me, you that are hungry. He tells us in the very last chapter of the Bible, come, come. He's encouraging people to come, but we have to make a choice. We're all going downstream at a rapid rate. And God says, come, I'll rescue you, come, I'll rescue you. But we have to turn and say, yes, Lord, I need your help. He rescues us, gives us new life, sets us on the road to, to life eternal, and helps us to live the way that he wants us to live. If you've never received it, God offers it to you today. Would you please take it? He's not going to force it on you, but he wants you to take it. He loves you. He paid the debt for you. He gives it to you for, for, as a gift if you will take it. If you've already received that gift... It's a priceless gift. Eternal life is absolutely priceless. Think about that. We were going to eternal death forever. Ever and ever and ever. Never ever ending. And now we can have eternal life with God. Never ending. For all eternity to live with Him. Why? Because of what we did? 
now because of what Jesus did. He paid it all. All to Him we owe. And if you've received that, take the time right now to praise God. Say, thank you, God, for what you did for me. Thank you for giving me new life in Christ. Thank you for the new life you've given me here. And help me to live the way that would please you. Help me to depend on the Spirit of God to live the way I ought to live.